do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, the nation's public radio source for real-life real estate investing education, up-to-date, no hype, no sales, all that kind of stuff. And by the way, folks, if you're listening to this broadcast on iTunes, public radio is actual radio. Like there's a transmitter and the signal goes out and you can listen to it in your car it's not a webinar. It's not an internet radio show. It's not something you have to call in to listen to. You can listen every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time at wmkvfm.org. Or you can, of course, listen here locally just by in Cincinnati by turning on your radio. But uh, seem to have more and more confusion from people thinking that I'm like sitting at my house recording this for the podcast and although Mike would probably make just as much money if I was sitting at my house recording it myself that's not what I'm doing I'm sitting they in it pay <laughs> they pay extra for having to deal with me that's good combat pay I'm glad to hear it uh, so today is question and answer week as it is on the last Wednesday of every month and as is the case on the last Wednesday of every month the show is all about what you want to know and that means you need to send your questions to askvina at gmail.com or be brave and actually give us a call at 772-9658 or outside the greater Cincinnati area 877 877- Seven seven two nine six five eight again seven seven two nine six five eight eight seven 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 two nine six five eight or askvina at gmail dot com. I do have a couple of questions here that came in before the program, and if you're wondering how people figured out to actually send in questions prior to the uh, program coming on. It's because they uh, are fans of Real Life Real Estate on Facebook. That is the place where we post all the information about the upcoming show, um, give people the contact information, remind you to listen, and you can also become a fan of Real Life Real Estate by going to realliferealestateradio.com, realliferealestateradio.com, and just clicking that you like the page, and then you'll get weekly updates that will allow you to do cool things like Send in your questions before the radio show. Uh, Questions that arrived before the program. Let's see. Here is one that says, uh, this is from Jamie in Cincinnati. Uh, She says, I've been listening to your podcast at work all day. (laughs) That's one way to quit your job for real estate is let your boss know that you're listening to real life real estate podcasts all day. Uh, wholesaling is a topic that I would be interested in. Uh, it interests me because the real website indicates it's low risk, no cash, no credit real estate business and can give out a cash payout in two to three weeks. How is that possible? I am a full-time mom and full-time employee and I'm wondering how much time I will need to make uh, to pursue this line of real estate as a beginner looking for other sources of information about wholesaling as well. Well, Jamie, um, wholesaling in a nutshell is going out and finding really, really, really good deals on properties that could be fixed up and resold or that could be fixed up and rented and uh, 
putting those properties under contract at such a low price that you can turn around and sell it to another investor who wants to make money on it for a profit that, depending on what part of the country you live in, is going to range from maybe five up to $20,000. You live in a $5,000 part of the country, by the way, Jamie. And yes, that generally all happens within two to three weeks, but it happens within two to three weeks of the time you put the property under contract. So it doesn't happen in two to three weeks from the time you first decide to start thinking about wholesaling. You actually have to like put a property under contract and then uh, two to three weeks later, the property would be probably sold and you'd probably have your money and that's how it works. Uh, The question about how much time do you need to pursue this particular line of real estate is a very interesting one because uh, I have seen people who uh, did not have jobs and did not have families and had all the time in the world and still managed to fritter it away in such a way that they never managed to do a wholesale deal. I've also seen people who had very, very busy lives who were able to do a wholesale deal at least every month or two. The question is not so much of time because I think if you can squeeze out five to 10 hours a week, you can probably, if you just squeeze out five hours a week, you can probably do a wholesale deal every six six weeks, okay? The question is how you spend that time. And a lot of people spend it doing things that are tangentially related to real estate. They make great business cards, they write great business plans, they create logos and mission statements and come up with great names for the company but they don't do what actually has to be done, which is find sellers and find buyers. The other thing about the real estate business is you could block out five hours on Saturday morning and say, this is the time I'm spending on real estate. But that doesn't mean that that, that people who need to sell their houses are going to call you during that five hours. It's not, it's not, it's not like that. You know, they'll call you in the middle of your workday. They'll call you at eight o'clock at night. And uh, obviously you don't want to be answering the phone in the middle of your workday, but you do need to be able to get back to them the same day if you're going to get that deal. So the time is kind of scattered around and it's, uh, you know, I'd say, Five hours a week, you can do, if you're spending it right, you can do a deal in six, eight weeks. If you have 10 hours a week, you can do a deal every month. And if you're not doing a deal every month, there's something wrong with how you're spending your time. It's Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week, 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Or send us an email at askvnetgmail.com. Without you, there is no show. So ask your questions now. Support for WMKV comes from the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati, a nonprofit educational association with programs available for real estate investors at all levels of experience. RIA meets on the first and third Thursdays of every month. More information about RIA and their meetings is available at 859 292 7342. Checking on traffic right now, we still have an accident Route 4 at 275, northbound Route 4, completely blocked at the moment. Northbound 71 at Kenwood, the left shoulder is uh, an accident, but the lanes are now all reopened, so that's good news. Still have an accident westbound Fort Washington Way as approach to the Brent Spence Bridge on the right shoulder. Harrison still shut down both directions, Eagle Creek and Springdale. Uh, That's down by St. Bernard's down in the valley, and we still have police activity southbound 71's ramp to 471, but those lanes should be opening up pretty soon. Uh, Also, among the delays in the usual spots, uh, unusual delay in westbound 275, the ramp to Route 4, probably because of that accident we mentioned. Your forecast tonight, partly cloudy early on, mostly cloudy after midnight, 50% chance of showers or thunderstorms, a low of 72, 40% chance of morning showers as we wake up tomorrow morning, and then clearing in the afternoon, partly cloudy with a high around 88 degrees. Programming on WMKV is supported by the Knowles of Oxford. The Knowles of Oxford is now building new spacious cottages in their development Redbud Trace on campus. The Knowles offers an active retirement with all the benefits of a college town. More information about the new Redbud Trace cottages and the entire Knowles campus is available at 513-524-7990. That's 513-524-7990. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, your public radio source for real estate investing information for investors at all levels of knowledge and experience. And today is question and answer day, which means that uh, there's no show. 
unless you have questions at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or via email at askvina at gmail.com. A question here from uh, Julie in New Jersey who says... What is the formula for determining a quick sale price on a piece of real estate? Well, uh, first thing, Julie, is I, of course, need to define quick sale price for the rest of the folks out there. Uh, The quick sale price is a price at which a property will sell on the open market within 30 to 45 days and no more than 30 to 45 days. And it's a different price than, quote, full price or, quote, after repaired value. You all probably can't see me doing the quotations with my fingers since I'm on the radio. We We need to go television Mike, we need to like broadcast, we need to simulcast the show so people can see my f- facial expressions and my, my I gesture while I'm talking on the radio. Um, because uh, qu- uh, full price or after paired value is the price that a property would eventually sell for if you were willing to leave it on the market for a uh, typical time on the market right now, which depending on where you live could be six to eight months. So it's not really so much that there is a formula for figuring out what quick sale price is. What you do is you go out and you look at all the properties that have sold in the last six months to a year, and then you divide them into which ones sold within 30 to 45 days or less and which ones did not because the ones that did were priced at a quick sale price and the ones that did not were not. Now, having said that, Julie, if there are no properties in the area that had sold that quickly, um, it's a pretty good guess that you're probably going to want to list the property at somewhere between 90 to 95% of what you think full value is if you want a quick sale. And that uh, you have to take into account there too, the price points. Like if, if I was doing, um, if I was trying to figure out the, the quick sale value of a house and that calculation of 95% put me at 107, there's no way I'd list it at 107 because there's a price point at 1049 where people are looking for houses up to $105,000. So I would I would list it at 1049 in that case. And similarly, if the quick sale price said 103, I would definitely list it at 99.9 or a little bit less. Um, let's see. Ed says, can you explain how the SAFE Act will affect those who wish to sell their properties with owner financing? Uh, no, Ed, I cannot. And the reason I cannot is because no one knows yet how the SAFE Act will affect those who wish to sell their properties with owner financing. The opinions in the real estate world range from it's going to have absolutely no effect on anything to it is going to totally kill all of us and our businesses and we may as well just lay down in traffic right now because there's no sense in going on now that the safe act is in effect um the reason that there is so much confusion or or so many varying opinions about the safe act is have you seen this thing I mean, it is it is page after page after page after page after page of stuff that sometimes contradicts itself and, and, and also keeps referring to pieces of other laws that in order to fully understand it, you would have to go back and reference the uh, this law or that bureaucratic regulation and so on. It appears to say that anyone who is going to be involved with uh, financing of any sort on real estate is going to ha- have to have some kind of mortgage broker's license, either from their state or for, from the federal government, for those people who live in states that have not yet enacted such a thing. Um, I, I, I think the I think the middle of the road opinion on this is if it's your own house and you're selling it and it's only one property that you're selling, you, you probably don't have to pay any attention whatsoever to the Safe Act. The bigger problem is, of course, for those of us who sell multiple properties with some kind of owner financing that are ours, that are our properties, uh, because yes, it most definitely looks as if a lot of the provisions of that act are going to affect us. But how? We'll know when they start enforcing the regulation, because right now, literally, uh, I and colleagues of mine have talked to attorneys who specialize in this kind of law, and they say, I wouldn't render an opinion on this if you paid me $20,000 because it's just too confusing. So, sorry, Ed. Wish I had a better answer, but uh, right now we just don't know. It's Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week, as always, for the last Wednesday of the month. If you have a question, send it to askvina at gmail.com or uh, to 877-7, uh, call 877-772-9658 
or if you're in the greater Cincinnati area, just plain old 772-9658. Carolyn, who didn't say where she was writing from, please, if you're sending emails, let us know where you're writing from. Once you've inspected a rental that has a tenant, how do you deal with the results? Do you send the tenant a list of findings and attempt to get the repair done or just keep a record of what you found? Carolyn, that is an excellent question. And it is something that, that, that most landlords handle very, very badly. First of all, most landlords don't inspect their rentals as long as the tenant is in there and paying rent. Bad plan. Um, the, 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 the tenant who is quietest and who makes the least complaints to you about the condition of their property is also the, the tenant who is most likely to have a grow house in your attic or to be raising Rottweilers in your basement. Not that there's anything wrong with Rottweilers. It's just I've seen the results of having a dog farm in one of your rental properties. Um, so congratulations on even thinking to do... Uh, what are probably semi-annual inspections. The second reason that landlords handle this wrong is that they tend to go through a property and if there is any tenant damage, they mentally write it off the security deposit, right? Because the tenant the tenant put up a month's rent for a security deposit or damage deposit at the beginning of the lease. And a lot of landlords will say, all right, well, I've got a $600 security deposit and I see they, they broke that door and that's going to cost me $200 to replace. So I'll just refund them $400 at the end of the lease. That is absolutely the wrong way to handle it. And here's why. What are you going to do if they don't pay their last month's rent? The damage deposit is for damages as well as lost rent. And a lot of tenants will give you 30 days notice and not pay their last month's rent because they're saving it for the deposit on their next place. And uh, then you have zero money to do the repairs with. So the way you want to handle this is is you go through and whatever is tenant damaged beyond ordinary wear and tear. That's an important concept. If they put some, you know, little tacks on the wall to hang up pictures, that's kind of ordinary wear and tear. If the carpet's been there for five years and there's a cigarette burn on it. It's a kind of ordinary wear and tear. If the window is broken from the inside or the cabinet drawers are are broken, you know, the, the, the fronts are pulled off or uh, doors are missing or, you know, sinks are stuff, stuff that stuff that only the tenant could have done it. And it's way beyond what would normally happen in a house with someone who was living in it as a peaceful human being. You need to write down what the repairs are. You need to have them fixed. Well, actually, first thing I do is I I, uh, send a letter to the tenant and say, you have them fixed. Uh, And if you don't in a month, I'm going to have them fixed. I'm going to bill you for it. And then I would have it fixed and I would bill them for it because uh, that's really the only way that you're going to get the tenant to pay for any of that. And yes, you're risking that your tenant might get that bill from you and move, but do you really want someone in your property who's done a thousand worth dollars worth of damage in six months? How much are they going to do in the next six months if they've done that much in the first six months? Also, for all the landlords out there, your leases should all have clauses in them that say how rent will be applied. Now, it seems like a strange question because rent, of course, rent will be applied to rent. No. When you receive a rent check, your lease should say that it will be first applied to any late fees, court costs, things resulting from perhaps the tenant being evicted the previous month and catching up, and then to any utility bills that the tenant was supposed to pay but did not, for those of you who live in states where you are forced to pay the water even if your tenant agrees to do it, and then to any damages, repairs, et cetera, caused by the tenant, and then and only then for, to rent. So if the rent's a thousand bucks a month and they owe one hundred and fifty dollar late fee from last month, and they send you a thousand dollars, they've already only paid eight fifty. And if you just paid a water bill for for them to keep them from getting the water shut off, they've only paid six fifty. And if you in your inspection found three hundred dollars worth of damages, they've only paid three fifty. They still owe you five hundred dollars worth of rent. And you can send them a you can send them a, a notice like in the middle of the month because all they did was pay for the first week of the month. You need that clause in your contract though, because. It's important to specify 
how that stuff will be applied. It's question and answer week on Real Life Real Estate Investing, 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 are the numbers to call with your questions about anything having to do with investment real estate. Oh my gosh, I just got another. Kathy and Dayton wants to know about the SAFE Act. I guess we'll do another show about the SAFE Act as soon as anybody figures it out here. Um, Question from Dan in New Jersey. He says, I found two properties where the actual physical configuration does not match the tax records. Both are major fixer-uppers, REOs, and I want to wholesale the second one. The first has three units with three furnaces and three gas meters, but it's listed as a two-family in the tax records. Uh, my friend of mine bought this at the sheriff's sale before looking at the record. He knows better now. <laughs> I would imagine the building inspector would have a big problem with this up on inspection, wouldn't he? And and the answer is, uh, Dan, in New Jersey, absolutely yes. Uh, there There are places where, well, what you've got there is what's called a bootleg three-family down here in in. Uh, Southern Ohio and Northern Kentucky. It's a bootleg three family because it was built as a two. It was meant to be a two. It's zoned as a two, but someone stuck in another apartment for obviously extra income. In some places, the zoning people don't really care. You know, they, 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 you could just apply for new zoning and get it. Or if the building inspector comes out, he's not going to make a big deal out of it. There are some places though, where uh, the cities really, really, really want to decrease the density of their population and will come down on you like a ton of bricks for having a zoned two family that is being used as three. And what they'll do is they'll make you take the other unit out. They'll make you throw the, throw the tenant out, take out the gas meter, uh, probably not take out the additional furnace, but take out the additional kitchen and make one of those two units into a, a bigger unit if that is possible with the physical configuration. Otherwise you just lose the space. New Jersey happens to be one of those places. The Newark area, Linden, Elizabeth, those places where you work are uh, very actively <laughs> trying to undo all of those. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, some of those newer construction properties in the Type Two and Three areas uh, had a, a bootleg apartment stuck into the basement so that the buyers could help defray their gigantic house payments since those houses were selling for two twenty five years ago. And uh, yeah, the building inspectors are forcing them out, forcing them to take out those additional units. He says in the second, it's a five family with five kitchens and five five entrances, but it's only got a single heating unit. It's listed as a four unit in the tax and MLS records. One central heating system, one boiler. In my area, investors prefer separate heating utilities, so upgrades would be needed. Would you avoid these I'm hearing that getting the tax records to reflect the correct configuration takes four to six months. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't bet that it would happen at all. And Dan, what I would do with the four family that's currently being used as five, and we see those a lot too, the standard four families, two up, two down, and someone stuck in an apartment in the basement, is I would comp it as a four family. I would do the rental evaluation as if it was a four family, because that's the worst case scenario is it is a four family. And then I would tell any of my potential buyers that it is a four, it is being priced as a four and sold it as a four. There is a fifth unit. They choose to use it or not at their own risk because it is not zoned properly. It's Real Life Real Estate Investing Question and Answer Week. 772-9658 with your questions or 877-772-9658 or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Support comes from Rockdale Temple. Rockdale Temple, a Reformed Jewish congregation open to all and dedicated to the values of spirituality, community, education, and social action. Prospective members always welcome. Rockdale Temple, where you are valued and values matter. Online at rockdaletemple.org. Checking on traffic right now. The accident that had Harrison Avenue shut down between Eagle Creek and Springdale, that has been resolved and the road is reopened. So Harrison is reopened at Springdale. Uh, Still have the accident, though, that has shut down northbound State Route 4, Route 4 at 275, just up the street from us. Uh, Also still have an accident northbound 71 at Kenwood on the left shoulder and now an accident uh, on uh, the ramp to the Brent Spence Bridge from Fort Washington Way. 
Your forecast from the National Weather Service, partly cloudy skies early on. We're going to cloud up, and there's a 50% chance of a shower or thunderstorm later tonight with a low tonight around 72. Tomorrow, we'll have some clouds and maybe a chance of rain in the morning. 40% chance tomorrow morning and then partly sunny later in the day, a high around uh, 88 degrees. Friday looks good, sunny and a little bit cooler, not as humid, a high around 85 Saturday, partly sunny with a slight chance of uh, 30% chance of showers in the morning. Saturday's high around 88. And Sunday, uh, partly cloudy with a high of 88 degrees. Looking ahead to next week, partly cloudy Monday and Tuesday with highs in the upper 80s. If WMKV is a big part of your day, help spread the word about us. Tell a friend about WMKV FM 89.3 and about our streaming audio. It's available anywhere in the world at WMKVFM.org. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and today is Question and Answer Day. We are um, taking your questions about anything having to do with real estate investing. And you can call us at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Here's a question from Joe Rodriguez again. Please let us know from where, like what state in the United States and better yet, what city you are writing when you send questions. Uh, He says, can a landlord purchase renter's insurance on behalf of his tenants and what is the typical cost for this policy? Um, Yes, Joseph, in the sense that they can apply for the policy and you can pay for it. You cannot, you cannot buy insurance for their contents. They have to make the application and so on. And then you can pay for it if you so choose. I'm not 100% sure why you would want to do that. Uh, the typical cost for the policy depends largely on what they are insuring. And also, strangely enough, what their credit looks like. It actually changes the um, the cost of things if they have bad credit because then there's the thought that they might, you know, like do something, oh, I don't know, like burn the house down themselves to collect the insurance on their own assets. So, um... I just noticed in my Gmail account that a bunch of people had requested a system that I that uh, Missy McCall Hammonds and I had offered uh, ages and ages ago on the show, and unfortunately, my Ask Vina account was not forwarding until very recently to my other account, and I apologize to those of you who have requested this and not received it. Um, I will get that out to you. And I apologize again. I did not find those things until really just this second. Um, question from, actually, let's go ahead and go to the phone since Jerome is on the phone and this is email. Hey, Jerome, welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Hi, Vina. Um, my question to you is um, I'm looking to start wholesaling and I know that you can build your buyer's list, list during uh, real meetings and such. My question is, do you, well, one, do you, do you suggest that I start building my buyer's list prior to me going out, um, driving around looking for properties? And then also, what is another way that I can build my buyer's list outside of, of RIA? The chicken or the egg question. What do I do first? Get a deal to sell to buyers or find buyers to sell a deal to? And the answer is uh, uh, both. Okay, <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but uh, part of part of the way you know what areas are in demand, like what neighborhoods and what kinds of properties and what's you know what is what is deal killers for people is you talk to them. And you know you might find that uh, you're you're the Cincinnati area, so you might find that you talk to 20 buyers, and six of them all say they really really want Madisonville. Well, that'd tell you that Madisonville might be a good place for you to hunt for deals because you've got more buyers there than any place else. Uh, you you'll, you'll probably hear a lot of them say things like, "I don't I don't want two bedrooms. I want three plus bedrooms." Or they'll say, uh, if I'm buying in Madisonville, I want a brick house because I don't have to want to have to worry about painting it. You know, th- those sorts of things, and that that gives you a lot of 
idea as to what it is you are out there looking for. Now, okay. at the same time, I wouldn't wait until I had a buyer's list of 50 people to start finding deals, because if you have a good enough deal, it almost doesn't matter where it is. I say almost. There are some neighborhoods that you just absolutely can't wholesale in because they are just, they're screaming war zones, like four out of every five properties is abandoned and nobody wants to buy there. But other than those neighborhoods, if it's a good enough deal, you can sell the deal. Now, your your other question was about how to build your buyer's list other than coming to the meetings. Right. Okay. Um I'll give you some. I'll give you some quick tips because uh, this is this is a big focus of every wholesaler's business right now, including mine. I mean, pe- people who've been in the business for years and years and years, and have big big buyers lists are still building their buyers lists because we're running okay. across a lot of situations where somebody who's bought twenty five deals from us, we call them, and they say uh, the bank cut back my line of credit, and now I can't. You know, I can only buy one deal at a time. You know, that that sort of thing that affects them and then also affects us. Uh, One of the things that I do is anytime I'm driving around a neighborhood for any reason, whether I'm looking for houses or just going somewhere, and I see a house with a dumpster in front of it, I stop. Because you know what I know about a house that has a dumpster in front of it? Someone's fixing it up. And that someone is probably an investor, and they're definitely a rehabber, right? So so I pull over and I talk to whoever's there and a lot of times it's the contractors and I say, all right, well, who hired you? And they'll give me the name and number of the owner. And I actually track down the owner and say, hey, you know, tell me about yourself. Are you looking for other properties in this area? I might have some to sell. Um, I also uh, like to, um, whenever whenever I make an offer on a house and then somebody else buys it at a higher price, I like to find out who that person was and I like to contact them and find out if they want to buy anything else. Also, when I see those signs hanging on telephone poles that say, I buy houses, I always call them because I want to find out if they really buy houses. And about 60% of the time, they don't. About 60% of the time, when you call them, they won't pick up the phone and they will never return your phone call because really they don't buy houses. Really what happened is somebody sold them a bunch of signs at a seminar where they were really excited about the idea of buying houses. But the fact is, they're terrified to talk to sellers, and so they will never call you back. But okay. the other the other forty percent will be divided between other wholesalers who could be a good source for you, right? I mean, if you have a great deal, and they've got the buyers, would you mind splitting your fee with them? No, not at all. Yeah, so some of them will be wholesalers, and so, some of those will do that sort of arrangement with you, and some of them will be people who are buying houses to rehab or less commonly rent. It's 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 less common to see landlords hanging signs like that. So you know, call them up and find out what they want. Okay. And same thing with all, right. all the Craigslist ads that say I buy houses and the newspaper ads that say I buy houses. You know, it, 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 finding buyers is different than finding sellers because in in a lot of cases you can find sellers in bulk. Like you could go into the MLS right now and probably find 700 bank-owned properties that would be potential deals. You can go down to the county courthouse and probably find 1,200 people who are in foreclosure that that could potentially be good deals. Unfortunately, you can't go down to the courthouse and look up a list of eight thousand buyers. I, I wish you could, but right. it, it's much more of a it's much more of a onesie twosie personal, you know, contact people, networking sort of thing. The only place that that you can really get people in a big group is someplace like a RIA meeting. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you, Vina. All right. Thank you so much for your call, Jerome, and good luck with your new wholesaling career. Uh, let's see. Answered that one last week. Answered that one just now. Let's see what this question says. Um, yep. Answered that one just now. By the way, it's question and answer week on real life real estate investing. So, uh, if you have any questions, send them to askvina at gmail.com along with your city and state, please. And uh, we will get to them, whatever the question is about. Um, Let's see. Julie saying, no question this time. Just writing to say these are wonderful shows and particularly compliments the show with John Zorer that uh, he did on short sales, which is now up on iTunes if you would like to hear that one. question let's see boy it's a lot harder to go through these when uh 
when they're coming in in this way as opposed to through my regular email. Uh, again, call, give us a call at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 with any questions or send us an email to, for, uh, to askvina at gmail.com. Okay, here's one from Jackson in Orlando, Florida, which I probably should have read before I read his name because it starts not trying to embarrass you. And now I'm afraid to read the rest. But to set up the question that follows, I recall a story in your past about a time when you were so shy to deal with sellers that you would deliver offers and counteroffers in the dead of night. Is that true? Yes, it is absolutely true. (laughs) And that went on for probably the better part of 18 months to two years. And during that time, I still bought well over 40 properties, even delivering stuff in the dead of night. How do you do personally deal with this normal buyer's hesitancy to get the po- to get to the point where you are today, I personally think that the fear of seller's negative reaction, looking stupid, making mistakes in negotiations and contracts, etc., are the main reasons that people who attend seminars never make a deal. Um, and Jackson, I would largely agree with that. I would largely agree that that folks who have the information, whether it's all in their head at the moment or whether some of it is still on audios and in books that and yet don't do anything i mean like you can you could you could quiz them you could ask them questions about real estate and they could answer them all correctly and yet something is stopping them from actually doing the things that need to be done like making offers to sellers and i think that you're right that it is fear and uh fear of you know as you said making mistakes like like putting a property under contract for too much money uh, fear that the seller is going to somehow, I don't know, get upset and start screaming and calling you bad names. The way that I came, o- I overcame it, honestly, is that num- number one, without making offers, I didn't have any money. I mean, there, I, the, the first first couple of years I worked in real estate, I did work for, I did work in my father's real estate company. But what that meant is I had to generate the money to pay my own salary, or there was no salary. So it wasn't a matter of, oh, I could do this or I could stay with my nice cushy job that although I don't really love the job, I am making a perfectly fine living and I don't need to do anything else. Uh, it, it was just necessary to go make the offers anyway. What got me over the thing about I didn't want to just tell the seller what I wanted to pay for his property was a couple of years of making offers and having some of them rejected and some of them accepted and finding out that it didn't kill you either way and that most sellers are nice people and are largely grateful for your efforts even if they are not particularly happy with your offers and that even the ones who aren't happy with it and yeah you you occasionally do get one who says oh that's just insulting I can't believe you would even say that I can't believe you would even dare to offer me that on my house are it doesn't hurt you when when that happens. And I mean, let's face it, somebody who reacts that badly in a business situation has problems beyond whatever uh, you might have offered him. So it was just really experience. It was just knowing that it didn't happen because I tried it and tried it and tried it and it, it kept not happening. Uh, and, and I should say, uh, Jackson, that I had beyond the normal hesitancy that beginners have to do this because... I am not by nature a really um, friendly and loquacious person. I mean, I'm not unfriendly. I just, I'm very shy. I don't tend to talk to strangers in normal circumstances um, just for the heck of it. And uh, I know that it sounds really ironic that I'm on the radio saying I'm really shy, but that, that, that is the truth. I mean, I was, I was painfully, painfully shy as a child and a teenager and kind of up through college. So, um, it was beyond just the usual beginner stuff. And I'm telling you, if you go out and and you actually do it, or if the folks that you're referring to or addressing will go out and actually do it, they will find out it's not nearly as scary as they think it is. And all that stuff about, oh, I'm going to make a mistake. So what? Does your contract have an escape clause in it or doesn't it? Because if it does, it's not like the seller doesn't see that when he signs the contract. And if you have to come back later and say, gosh, I'm really sorry. I'm a newbie. I made a mistake. My friend who came and looked at the property told me that there was $10,000 more worth of work than I thought there was, and I can't pay this, but I could pay $10,000 less. What is the big deal? You're not going to get hurt. It's 
Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're going to take a quick break, after which we will take your questions at 772-9658-877-772-9658 or via email at askvina at gmail.com. Support for WMKV comes from Boris and Ryan, a family-owned and operated funeral home serving the greater Cincinnati area with three locations in Springdale, Lockland, and Norwood. Boris and Ryan can help with pre-planning, funeral arrangements, and cremation services. More information is available from Boris and Ryan at 513-821-0062 or at borisandryan.com. Check it on traffic. We have an accident now on Coleraine at West Fork. Coleraine at West Fork. Still have uh, Route 4, uh, northbound Route 4, completely blocked at 275. Uh, also still have an accident on uh, westbound Fort Washington Way or southbound 71 on the ramp to the Brent Spence Bridge. It's on the right shoulder. But that's pretty much it as far as those accidents. Uh, of course, the Route 4 accident is causing some delays westbound 74's exit ramp to Route 4. We have backups northbound 71 at McMillan, south 71 at the Lytle Tunnel, north 75 at Harrison, and again between 74 and Paddock, and again at Glendale Milford. South 75 slows up between Lachlan and Mitchell, and you're on the brakes again, approaching the Brent Spence Bridge. Tonight, a 50% chance of a shower later on, partly cloudy early on. Tonight's low will be around 50, or, uh, 72 degrees. Tomorrow calls for a uh, 40% chance of a morning shower, then clearing in the afternoon, partly sunny with a high of 88. Friday looks great, less humid, and a high around 85 degrees. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week as it is on the last Wednesday of every month. For those of you who always hear this on the podcast and would like to ask questions, you don't have to wait until the last Wednesday of the month. You can always send questions 24 hours a day to askvina at gmail.com. And I'll just stick them in my little radio show questions inbox and answer it when question and answer week comes around or when one of my guests is an expert in the area that you are asking about. Uh, just got an email from Cody in Bina or Bina, Illinois, saying, heard of any novel and unique ideas lately for finding motivated sellers and distressed properties, or are you experimenting with anything new in your approach? You know, Cody, that's a funny question because one of my habits as I am looking at ugly houses is that whenever I find an old newspaper, like I'm talking like 20 years old, 30 years old, I once found one from 1928 that was serving as insulation in a house. I always pick them up because I always want to look at the real estate section. Don't worry, this is going somewhere. The reason I always look at the real estate section is because it always fascinates me how whether the newspapers from 1928, and I kid you not, I actually have one of these stuck to my bulletin board from 1928, or whether it's from 1976 or 1955, there are always ads in it that say, I buy houses. And you kind of you kind of say, gosh, you know, why, why have people not invented something new? Well, because it works. And you can you can try all kinds of kinds of new and different things and I've seen I've seen some people who got really creative and the, the, like they had they had they made a deal with their local pizza place that their I buy houses flyer would be stuck to the top of every pizza box and that that's very clever but what it comes down to is it's always the same problems that cause properties to be distressed and it's always the same problems that cause people to need to sell them and and it's it's a you know it's a medium sized list it's not not super lengthy but you know estates divorces job losses uh, health issues foreclosure uh, bad tenants you know it's 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 a known list okay and there aren't there aren't any new groups being added to that list and so the question you have to ask yourself about like new novel and unique ideas is do they work you know, did the did the guy who was delivering his I buy houses flyers with every pizza have any reason to believe that people who order pizza are distressed owners? And I would say pro- probably not. If you can afford to order in a pizza instead of getting one at the grocery store, you're probably not all that all that distressed. So um, no, do I, I mean you know? And every once in a while, somebody comes up with some new twist on marketing, like there was that whole yellow letter thing that has been around for 
oh, five, six, seven years now, and people are still saying, I invented this and it's brand new. Yeah, right. And there were things like um, uh, about 10 years ago, somebody came up with the idea of buying what's called the 30, 60, 90 day lists from credit reporting companies. That's people who are 30, 60 or 90 days behind on their house payments, but have not been filed upon yet. And those are being pitched really hard. Although I know that um, all the folks I know who've used them have said that they do get responses. They do have nice conversations with the owners and the owners in the conversation by saying, wow, okay, that sounds really great. Um, I'm only a month behind and I think I'm going to catch up. So I'll call you when I need you. And then they never hear from them again. So no, no novel and unique ideas lately that I think are actually going to work. I mean, basically, we're still using the same newspaper ad, right? I buy houses, all cash and in condition. We're just putting it on the internet now. We're putting it on Craigslist. We're putting it on our Facebook pages. It's the same concept because it still works. Okay. So uh, yeah, nothing that I would say would be like, um, you know, super compelling that is going to change the way you do business. And uh, am I experimenting with anything new in my approach? And not really. I mean, I'm always I'm always experimenting with wording letters different ways or sending out the letters and postcards in different orders, but it's still the same people. (laughs) You know, the probates and the out of town owners and the divorces and all of that sort of thing. So, um, if you have any last minute questions, and it's funny because every time I do one of these question and answer weeks, I always get two or three questions that come in like five minutes after the show is over. And in fact, here is an example. This is from Herb in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Which one is MI? Michigan. Vicksburg, Michigan, uh, from last week's show. And it says, uh, if I if I purchase a property under my own LLC that is just set up for that purpose, and I close the property using transactional funding, in other words, he, he buys the property from the bank using transactional funding, can I then sell my LLC to the buyer at my attorney's office or my CPA's And if so, isn't this just one closing? Uh, Yes, Herb, you can do that. You can have your LLC buy the property and then someone else can buy the LLC and therefore effectively be in control of the property. It is one closing in the sense that there won't be two sets of transfer taxes, which is usually the big expensive things, because the sale of an LLC that owns the property is not subject to a transfer tax. It will only have one deed prep, and those run like 125 bucks. There'll only be one sit down and close. What your attorney will charge you for drawing up the documents for you to sell the LLC itself is is a different question, but I'm sure it will be less money than the closing. Now, the one issue in what you said here is that unless you are in control of the transactional funder, like it's a like it's a friend of yours, a private lender, that sort of thing. The private lender or the the transactional funder is going to have a problem with this because it's really key to understanding transactional funding that you understand that before the guy who's going to give you the money for the A to B closing will give it to you, the money for the B to C closing has to already be in the same title company's escrow account. If your attorney owns the title company and he can verify that it's in the escrow account fine but if the it's a different attorney different area etc um they're they're not going to be able to do that for the transactional funder and you won't be able to get that transactional funding in the first place uh here's a question from somebody who's completely anonymous boy should i even answer anonymous questions I I just think, you know, you really ought to be able to, like, put your name on the bottom of a question. But I'll go ahead and answer this one. Uh, It says, Vina, how can I go about getting a letter from someone stating that I am pre-approved? And what they mean for those listeners who don't speak real estate is, how can I get a letter saying that I am pre-approved for financing to close a property so that I can present that pre-approval letter to the seller to either make them consider my offer more strongly if they're a private seller or consider my offer at all if they are a bank seller. And the answer is, uh, first of all, are you pre-approved? Because 
if you are, I mean, are you are you pre-approvable? Let's put it that way. Because um, if you are, you can just pretty much like go to a mortgage broker or a bank or a hard money lender or someone like that and apply for a loan and or like like apply for pre-approval and they will certainly give you a letter saying that you are pre-approved. If you are not qualified in that sense, which I suspect is the case or you wouldn't be asking me the question, what you need to do is get a private lender to write you a pre-approval letter. A private lender, of course, being someone who has money sitting around that they are not... Um, they are not using or are using uh, for something that they perhaps uh, don't like the return on and uh, they would love to invest in real estate with you and they can write a letter on their letterhead that says that you are pre-approved with them for a private loan. And one other quick question, this one, I, I'm going to say this person's name is Kalanji because that's the first word of their of their email address. Uh, Vina, I just discovered your podcast, Invaluable Info. I was listening to your podcast regarding hard money. As a former former LO and former flipper, I understand all too well the true meaning of skin of the game when attempting to acquire hard money. However, in your opinion, would many lenders consider a seller-carried second private mortgage in lieu of cash in the deal? Uh, and the answer, of course, is it depends it depends on the lender. Uh, most most hard money lenders who are in any way um, professionals will have like their own rules and they can tell you. A hard money lender who is an individual may be okay with the idea of the other quote skin in the game not being yours, your cash, but rather the sellers. If they, they the hard money lender, are in first position and if they are in first position well protected in other words meaning that perhaps the second that you refer to is 45% of the purchase price and they are only uh, loaning you 55% of the purchase price so thank you very much for your question Kalanji or whatever your name is it is the end of this week's question and answer week here on real life real estate investing thanks to all the folks who sent in and called in with questions to make the show actually run we'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing and until then happy investing WMKV Reading, Ohio. Fox 19 News is next. right now the family of a teenager who according to Cincinnati police was the victim of excessive force during an arrest is suing the officers involved in the incident Catherine Tate